Hello, this is Angelica Yingst, and you're listening to Centered, Grounded Conversations About the Metaphysical. Blessed Midwinter, it's Angelica Yingst, and I am here with a bonus winter solstice reading. Um, So let's just talk about what winter solstice is, and then we can move into the reading. But winter solstice, or midwinter as it's sometimes called, falls in the northern hemisphere between December 20th and December 22nd. Yule, which is a festival, was historically observed by Germanic peoples. And in modern times, it's primarily celebrated by pagans and uh, Wiccans and uh, earth-based religions. So the pre-Christian festival originated in Scandinavia. And then like many pagan festivals, it was just brought into Christian holidays. Um, And that was, you know, by design because they wanted... Uh, pagans to convert and not lose their connection with the celebrations of the earth. So some modern Yule celebrations uh, will try to recreate the ancient traditions while others have adapted and kind of made it part of their religious practices. Um, Yule is a time when we honor the mother aspect of the goddess when she births the sun and the warrior aspect of the god. So the one battling darkness or winter or cold. In Wiccan circles, Yule marks the birth of the Solar King. Others remind us of that battle between the Oak King, the King of the Waxing Year, and the Holly King, the King of the Waning Year. Now, the Oak King is a summer king, right, because he drops his leaves and he goes barren, so he is weaker, and the Holly King is always green. Um, so their personas of holly and oak make sense, and um, they kind of come in to represent um, those that survive the harshness of the dark in the winter, and the oak comes in in its full power in the summer. So he is a solar tree, and the holly king is the lunar king. So Yule is one of the oldest winter solstice festivals with origins among the ancient Norse like thousands of years ago. The roots are very complicated. They're hard to directly trace and understand how it was celebrated. Most people know that the most historians can agree that the Norse festival was called, uh, I'm going to pronounce it right, Yol. I think that's how it says, um, that's how it's pronounced. But um, basically, like most winter solstice festivals, there were themes of the light, fire, feasting, some historians think there were sacrifices and that, you know, sacrifices were part of many cultures. Um, and it's a very common observance when you are in winter, like what is the most important thing is food. And so offering it to the gods was a, a great uh, sacrifice. So in the harsh climate, uh, most cattle were slaughtered because in the winter you can't feed your cattle. So you had these festivals, first Samhain, and that's supposed to be the first um, festival of the wheel of the year and then winter solstice or, or um, Yule <laughs> I'm going to always continue to pronounce it Yule but um, that was a big deal I mean the meat was an important part of the diet in the winter for um, those in northern climates um, so you know one of the things is that um, the original festival was a festival 
they think they may, it may be a festival of the dead. You know, this is the darkest time of the year. And so um, the god Odin would come in and um, be kind of the god of the dead during this festival. And um, so it was kind of considered almost like a New Year festival or like kicking off the time of light growing. Um, so one of the earliest references we have is from an English monk in about the 8th century. And he was kind of writing about these Norse and uh, Anglo-Saxons. And, um, you know, he, he was kind of writing everything down. So he talks about this festival um, and not just a festival, but the way to mark time on the wheel of the year. So that's important because um, it's basically this was the calendar. This is the agrarian calendar. All these times, these festivals mark the passage of the year. Okay, so the the Old Norse Yule was then considered a heathen festival, and uh, you know heathens, uh, kind of like pagans. You know heathens were considered non Christians, and so were pagans. Pagans were of they called them you know of of the people um, basically, so they weren't necessarily indicating any one religion it was kind of like you're not christian you know so but the yule festival was uh from winter solstice to the beginning of january so it had a long period of time so that's why you can do any of your um solstice celebrations in that period so you have this kind of two week period of just like working with the themes of Yule and winter solstice or midwinter or however you call it. I like midwinter. Um, it's not very popular, but I do like that one. Um, the ancient Romans called this time Dies Natalis Solus Invicti, meaning the birth of the unconquered sun. And it was a festival to Helios, the personification of the sun. It also honored the birth of Mithras, the savior god of the light, truth, oaths, integrity, and covenants. And he is the guardian solar deity who presides over the path that t that is the path that you go to if you are trying to perfect the soul. <laughs> so that's a very interesting um, idea. I mean, the idea of birth and rebirth is important, and it was important in many cultures, not just Christian, um, not just Christians. You know, so the Christians of the fourth century basically reinvigorated this festival to honor the birth of Jesus Christ, even though most historians do not think he was born in December. As um, I, I'm a Capricorn, and people have sent me like, um, there's no way Jesus was a Capricorn because a Capricorn would never sacrifice himself for everyone, <laughs> which always makes me laugh. That's not the Capricorns I've experienced, but it just always makes me giggle. Anyway, uh, Yule became a name for Christmas around the 9th century, we think, and it has uh, roots now in many, many languages, in Norwegian and Swedish, Danish, Estonian, Finnish, Icelandic, even in Scots languages. So we see many of the old ways mirrored in the Christian traditions that are prevalent to most of us who live in the United States or in uh, Europe. We're used to the idea of Christmas ru ruling things, but really uh, these things were happening way before. <laughs> uh, so evergreens were brought into the home to remember that life continues. Again, also the honoring of the Holly King. Um, so the gift giving tradition traced back 
to sacrifices made to the gods and goddesses to prevent starvation and be affected by the deep cold. Gifts were also given to landowners during the dark season as a way to honor and express gratitude for the season. The family exchanged gifts so that they could um, settle into their home. And then the Yule log, which was traditionally oak, began the celebration of Yule. So that was the first log burned. And the eldest male searched for that either perfect log um, while the others prepared by cleansing the home. And the Yule log was then carved into the shape of a goddess, usually the crone goddess. And uh, some speculate it was Kalak. I don't know if I pronounce that right. Who embodied cold and death. I'm going to look it up. Hold on. Kalyach. That's how I figured out how to pronounce it by listening to some guy on YouTube. Anyway, um, so the log was decorated with greens. Sometimes whiskey or ale was poured onto the log. And then it was lit on Solstice Eve. And the family watched it all night. And if the log burned until morning, it was considered a good omen. In modern pagan times, we often use the trunk of last year's Yule tree or Christmas tree for the log the following year. So in modern times, Yule is a solstice celebration observed by many pagans. And um, for Wiccans, it's the second Shabbat on their wheel of the year and marked with rituals to welcome the return of the sun. And so there's a lot of ritual and darkness and light. And so it's a very beautiful um, time of the year. It's called midwinter um, because the old time was seen as the middle of winter, not the beginning, because Samhain was the beginning of winter. When we start doing the work of stillness and going quiet, bedding the fields, preparing for a long winter. In agrarian societies, midwinter marked the middle of living off their stores and off the harvest of the previous year. So during the dark time between Samhain and Imolk, uh, the family sewed and knitted and mend mended they worked around the home. They repaired their tools. They did those things that they couldn't do in the summer when they're harvesting and, and working in the fields or working with the animals. So some hunters may go out for brief hunting expeditions, but mostly the family remained around the home preparing for a time when the fields and animals demanded their attention. So this was really a time when they conserved their energy, conserved candles, conserved heat sources, went to bed when the sun went down. All those things are very precious during long winter months. So when you're when you're in an agrarian society integrally tied to the seasons, and this is part of the reason why I think it's important to follow the wheel of the years because we are detached. You know, we can go to the market and get any vegetable at any time, pretty much any fruit at any time. You forget how connected you know you should be to the earth. And so honoring the wheel of the year remembers that, you know, we are part of the earth and part of the system. And so when we're, when everything's changing at seasons, the work you do, the food you eat, the sleep schedule, your community, that should change as well. Because, you know, when we're connected to the earth, we're going to move with the earth cycles. So in agrarian societies, you know, there was a sense of this time being like you go to bed early when the sun went down which here is 4.30. I imagine if it, you were in one of those Norse, uh, you, you just couldn't do that because it's, it's constantly dark at this time of year. So, um, But during Yule, we rest. This season, this two-week period, is a, a resting time. Uh, we heal. We express gratitude for the harvest, for our bounty, for the hard work. We you know, enjoy the meat 
we dry the meat, uh, we jettison and release anything not working for us. And so the work of storytelling around the fire is also an important part. And you're telling the stories of your family, you're telling the stories of healing, you're telling the stories of losses, you're telling the stories of, you know, what you've learned through your life. This is our time to hibernate and honor the stillness of the earth. And when I walk out into um, the morning, I don't hear the birds. And that stillness is so, it's kind of haunting to just be like, whoa, nothing. I'm not hearing any animals, I'm not hearing any birds. Everything is hibernating or has, has um, migrated south, you know. So as we approach Yule, we think about and honor the stillness within us. Those lessons of winter solstice appear in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. Some people are sleeping all the time, binge watching things, doing that kind of stillness. Others of us are thinking about how uh, we have been detached from the essence of ourselves and we move into a more mindful time period. So this is a really great time to set intentions. And of course, you know, everybody makes New Year's uh, a big deal around here. <laughs> um, but it's because it coincides with that Yule time of doing that inward work. And so we're ready to know how we want to branch out, how we want to move into the doing part, which starts, you know, basically an imulk. So you're doing the thinking before, um, you know, Yule's over, before January 1st, and then after January 1st, you're, you're, you're doing. So um, we think about the things that we need to let go of, the ways that of being that aren't serving us any longer. So uh, it reminds us that we need to go fallow at times. We need to regenerate. We need to work on this self and our inner life. It's a time for self-care. It's a time for facing shadow. Um, it's a time that we should put aside busy for um, self-care. Um, we can work with stag, which the antlers are very connected to spirit and we're offering, you know, the gifts of intuition and connectedness. We think of those as almost like antlers and they support our inner work as we um, perceive small shifts in energy. And we know that those small shifts lead to big, big changes. Okay. So some great journal prompts for you during this Yule time are what part of self-care have you been struggling with? Uh, what part have you, of your life has gone dark? You know, what has the most light? What is ready for release? Where are you ready to rebirth? Um, all of those, like, what does stillness feel like to you? What does dark feel like to you? You know, those things are great. We do rituals around the winter solstice. We can do personal rituals anytime we, we want to do release or need to go inward. I mean, these are great new moon work too. So anytime you want to recommit to self-care, self-discovery work, shadow work, you can do some of these um, rituals that we do at Yule. And one is done with candlelight. So it has very little, um, like you could just get like a number of uh, candles and that's it. Um, or you can be very elaborate. But generally what we do is put down the electronics, <laughs> walk away from the phone, and think about going dark in the house. Maybe a no electricity night is part of this. You can keep your heat on, but turn off the lights, turn off the electronics, and um, you know, kind of working around the house. Generally, you know, you can start this outside if you want to. 
You can also just fill your room or put this around your altar with small votive candles or um, I love those little candles that you buy in jars. Um, they're, they're inexpensive and they're great to use and they're safe. Uh, if you want to do 13, 13 is a good number because it mirrors the moon cycles. Um, and then you incrementally light each candle as the evening goes on, slowly returning to light. So if you're choosing to stay inside to do any rituals, because bonfire is generally a normal ritual for uh, Yule, but we don't always have great weather. Like right now, it's it's really snowing out. So um, you can always get like a cauldron or a bowl to put anything you want to release into it and then take it outside later or bury it if burning is not possible. Fireplaces work really great as a fire pit in your house, right? So you start the ritual. You basically, you can start outside if you want to um, and just start to feel a cold on your skin and honor the way the cold moves through you um, and how it moves down the body and how it affects the earth. Um, and then notice where you're most cold and notice how your body seeks warmth. And then you imagine bringing light to those areas. Um, it's a really good time to like look at the stars and the moon, even when they go unnoticed, they're there. Um, and then bring, bring light in. So when you're ready, then you can kind of go around and start lighting all those candles. Um, like move inside and, you know, some people put a candle in each room or they just put it in their sacred space and, and slowly light them and bring light and warmth and think about the ways you're ready to welcome light and warmth into your life. And um, we honor warmth by expressing gratitude. We honor the light with humility. So we draw it to us and ask us to illuminate what needs to be illuminated. If you're noticing something arising that you feel like needs release, that's when you can just quick write it down and put it in the place to put, put it in a fire. And again, like if you start outside and you make a fire, that's great. You can just stay there. You don't have to do all the candles and all that stuff. That's, that's perfect. As the bonfire gets big, it's going to get small again, and we honor that. So um, some good releases might be like, I release um, whatever the blockage is. But you can also say, like, I release confusion or I release um, unhealthy ways of communicating or distrust or jealousy. And then you can also write in what you want to call in. So if you're releasing confusion, you can call in clarity. Or if you're releasing um, jealousy, you're calling in trust. And um, so you can have like a little bit of both like release papers and calling in papers. You can use herbs when you're throwing your release into the fire. Um, a lot of times people will take a pinch of an herb like tobacco or cedar or something, put it in the center of the release and then wrap the paper around it. Uh, speak the release out loud and then throw it into the fire. Um, and so when we do our affirmations, you know, what we can do is I honor the darkness in me and I welcome in the light. So that's all about winter solstice. Now let's talk about like the reading I did. So I did the winter solstice spread from my book, um, the complete tarot layouts, page 41. And I love this one because it's a star and I really work with that star energy a lot that works for me in connecting me with the earth because I use each point to represent an element and then the, the fifth point as spirit. So where we are right now, the center of this reading is very earthy. <laughs> it's the five of pentacles. Um, 
reversed. So the five of pentacles we call the poverty card. But what it really is is the scarcity of thinking card. You know, it's feeling like we don't have enough. And, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting idea, the idea of scarcity. And when we work with it energetically, it's often very confusing for people. They're like, yeah, but I need money like to live. Um, but scarcity mindset is more about thinking like uh, being afraid of not having enough, not trusting that you're going to have enough. And it often comes from old wounding, you know, obviously uh, when we're raised with poverty, it's hard to break out of that. And there's, it's not, I don't want to pathologize that either. You know, it's, it's a very healthy response to not having enough or to struggling or to poverty. We want to make sure all of our needs are met. The issue comes when it blocks your own understanding that your needs are met. And that's where it becomes uh, difficult to let go of. You know, when we, are, uh, we keep upping what's going to make us feel comfortable. And so we... When we get the five of pentacles upright, we're, we're warned of like getting into that mindset of feeling like we don't, you know, we're just focused on like what we don't have. Um, when we get it reversed, we're, we're kind of coming out of that period and we're going into a period of understanding what our needs are, simplifying. Um, you know, what happens in this card that's always the hope is that the church is lit up, and that's where they're going to seek refuge. They're, they're, the spirituality is always there for them. And that's the, the gift of this card, too, is to remind you that, you know, when we place too much worth on you know, some dollar amount in our account, we lose sight of the spiritual aspects of our life, which is you can't take the money with you. <laughs> your uh, spirituality resides in your relationships with others. And so in this card as well, there is a couple on here. And so it's asking you to look at your primary relationship as well and to think about um, the commitments that you've made to each other that fall, you know, in that place that we, most of us have said in our vows, in sickness and in health, you know, in, in, for richer or for poorer, we think about those times we've suffered and um, those are really important to kind of have that gratitude of having gone past those markers. Like we didn't marry uh, to expect that we'd never be sick. We didn't marry and expect we'd never suffer. But we've gone through those periods and we can honor the connection we've had and the way we've helped each other. And so that's coming in right in the center. So if you're wanting to do some work around this idea of scarcity and poverty mindset, going around that idea of what am I afraid of losing that I don't need? <laughs> so uh, it sounds a little crazy, but um, we're just kind of thinking about what are our needs and are our needs met? And if our needs aren't met, what are the boundaries we need to hold? What do we need to call in? What do we need to do in making an action plan, but also letting go of this idea that we need to have you know $10 million in the bank before we can ever be comfortable because that might not be realistic for where we're at in our life and, and who we are. So we're constantly having to readjust to what is our need because our needs keep, the, the, the measure keeps going up. So um, that's where we are. That's right in the center of what's happening at this winter solstice. And it's not surprising on a collective level 
when we hear so much negativity about the economy. So just for crazy making sake, turn off the news right now uh, about that because it, it doesn't help. It's kind of like that that advice to only look at your bank account once a month. You know, we, we don't need to be living in that penny by penny worry because it, it, it is crazy making. So our next one is what is lurking in the shadows of our subconscious and what's coming up is temperance. So this idea of like, like if we have some measure of monetary um, security that we're going to be emotionally balanced and it's just those things do not, they're not equal. They're not on the same playing field. So you know, what's lurking in our subconscious is the fact that we have to figure out our what brings us emotional balance that isn't from the external. We have to look at what's going on with us. So temperance comes in with Archangel Michael, who often is this um, very large figure in, in biblical senses. He comes in as the warrior. So, you know, when we think about the way of the peaceful warrior, we think about moving into our vulnerability rather than away from it. So the, the peaceful warrior that Archangel Michael comes in with is the one that moves into his emotions, not out of it. So that's what's kind of lurking underneath all of this is there's something else going on when we start twiddling about pennies. And what's going on is we need to figure out what, where we feel insecure and how we can feel secure and balanced. So, you know, as a collective, this temperance card is coming in upright and in like right there for us so we can use it and we can find that emotional. I like to say emotional sobriety because, you know, we can use emotions just like we use drugs. We use anger just like we use drugs. We can use uh, passive aggression just like we use drugs. We get addicted to it. You know, negativity, criticism, um, those are all um ways of getting us out of the self and out of our own emotions by pointing the finger uh, outside of us. So when we're thinking about this, we're asking for our own emotional balance, not the emotional balance of those around us. And that's, you know, that's a whole other lecture on codependency. But um, what brings us strength as we face this? We actually pulled the strength card here. So that means that um, our strength comes from within and it comes from the idea of knowing who we are. The strength card shows the goddess uh, petting her pet lion. <laughs> I always think of it that way. Um, and she's got like her hand in his mouth and he's completely tamed. His tail is between his legs and he understands that she is the caregiver of him. And that's one of the things that we end up conquering when we do inner child work and we do shadow work is we understand our inner lion, you know, our inner animal, the one that reacts, the one that uh, is the wounded child. And, and by understanding that, we then tame it. We become the mother. We can talk about our inner child a lot, but we can talk about our inner mother and our father. And how do we tame that inner child that's throwing a tantrum? We basically have to do the same thing we would do to our own children, which is uh, ground ourselves, make sure that you know, we're in a good place and then be able to talk to our inner child in a way that would be helpful, you know. So I know you're angry right now. Um, this is unfair, but throwing 
um, a tantrum, yelling, uh, throwing something at somebody is going to be get you in trouble. And what that person did is they're not going to be able to hear the injustice there. So we're going to tame our inner angry lion and kind of walk as the parent, the mature one, the ancestor. We're in the north. Uh, winter is the north. We consider that in the medicine wheel. And that's where we call in our wisdom and grounding. And certainly strength is about grounding and wisdom. Um, so what's no longer serving us, I have to move my book, is the two of swords. And I, uh, you know, I love the two of swords. That's, I don't have a favorite card, but if I did, that would be it. Um, the two of swords is, uh, shows a woman, she's in bed clothes. She's got her swords crossing her heart and she's blindfolded. So what's not serving us is um, hiding, you know. We have to take the blindfold off. We have to put the swords down. And again, like we're kind of working with that idea of walking into our vulnerability, not shielding ourselves and protecting ourselves from being hurt. And so what's no longer serving is all those protective things we do, all the defenses we have. We're putting down our weapons. I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. When I think about what it means to surrender, I think about what soldiers do. They put down their weapons, they kick it away from themselves, and they get on their knees and wait for direction. And often when, when we think about that in a spiritual way, we're, you know, the, the knee position is a position of prayer and supplication. So we can kind of think about it that way. We can put down our weapons, what, whatever your weapon is. Is it anger? Is it defensiveness? Is it uh, sarcasm? Is it uh, criticism? What, it, what is your defense? When you figure that out, this, that's shadow work right there. A lot of people ask, like, what is shadow work? It's just figuring that out. It's figuring out where your triggers are, figuring out uh, where it comes from. And you don't even have to know exactly where that first wound happened, but just that you respond this way. And when you respond this way, you are however old you were when it happened the first time. So we're putting down our weapons and we're uh, taking our blindfolds off and we're starting to look around us. And, and what what we're calling things by the proper name. I love that phrase, that's a, um, that's a phrase from, oh gosh, the Lawrence of Arabia. Um, calling things by their proper name means that we're no longer um, using euphemisms. We're no longer making apologies for ourselves or for other people. So um, it's a hard one to release because it's going to be individual for each of us, but we're ready we're ready to surrender and we're ready to take direction. And the direction comes in the next one. So what is it that we can honor and heal about the situation and about what's happening right now? And what comes in is the chariot. Now the chariot is our card for 2023, which is really cool because we'll be doing this work the whole year. Um, once we work with a card as an archetype, we're going to be working with all the little aspects of it. Yay. Um, so what are we honoring and healing about the chariot is usually about our ideas of success, of conquering these kind of power differentials that we sometimes have. And we're going to kind of explore those power differentials within our lives and within our relationships and 
Um, the the chariot is a really masculine card, and it's not a masculine card um, in a way that, you know, I know that when we use masculine, sometimes people put toxic in front of it. This is not that. This is a um, divine masculine idea, the one that is active and moves forward like fire and like light. It changes, it transforms, it transmutes, it does all of that work. And um, the cool thing about the chariot is that he is now, he's solitary now, like he's sitting still, he's not moving. So he is either just conquered or ready to conquer. And the way he's done it, he has to examine. One of the things about him is he wears all the astrological signs on his tunic and he has also like received the divine guidance so he's moving that forward and that's an important part of the medicine he brings so you know we're kind of working with chariot and that'll continue for many many months for a year um so that'll be wonderful and then what shines brightly for me and that's our last card here in the spirit area is the tower reverse so this means that you know this work has the potential to bring down walls that have been there for a very long time the tower uh is a card that a lot of us get really afraid to get but when it is in reverse it means that we are taking responsibility for dismantling the prisons that we have built around us those things that we've used for protection and what does that mean that means like you know when when we think about what are those defenses we have, you know, from the fourth card, um, we think about them serving us at some point, you know, when you're a child and you're not getting what you want and you feel neglected and you throw a tantrum and then they just want you to be quiet. So they give you what you want and there's no consistency, you know, that works. And if you continue doing that your whole life, it stops working when you're an adult, you're not cute enough to get the thing that you're crying for. And so you're like, oh my gosh, I keep like throwing tantrums and throwing things across the room, and losing relationships and blah, 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 blah. You know, that was a prison. It's a prison that you put yourself in. So when you dismantle that, then you can go to the next place, the healthy place, the mature place, the emotional, emotionally sober place. So um, I love having the tower in this position. And I think that, you know, thinking about our defenses and uh, how we can dismantle them can be such liberating work for many of us that um, I wish that for you <laughs> for 2023. And I will come in for a New Year reading at some point. Um, we'll do the January reading, but I'll do one separately. I am doing a, a really cool 2023 possibilities um, hosted by Alta View Wellness Center where I work in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That'll be a Zoom event on the 2nd of January at 6 p.m. And I will be talking about the chariot in particular, the card of 2023, and all the earth medicine that you can use to support you while you're doing that work of the chariot and the medicine that it brings forth. So I hope you can join me. You can find that information on my website or at altaviewwellness.com. Uh, Sharon Muzio is kind of emceeing it and leading it. So She'll be a wonderful contact if you have any other questions. There's two more readers joining me, so I'll be doing that. And then we have um, John Tucker, who's a tarot reader and an astrologer. And then Lizanne, who does palm reading. 
tarot, astrology. Like she is a jack of all trades and she is a really good reader. Um, so they're going to take their own unique approaches to looking at the collective energy of 2023. So um, I hope you can join us. That's going to be recorded. So even if you can't make it live on Monday, the 2nd at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can always watch it later. And um, because we're not doing individual readings, I don't think it's going to be a specific kind of um, reading. So you can do it. You can watch it anytime. So thanks for listening and have a wonderful Yule and New Year. Thanks for listening to Centered with me, Angie Yinkst. If you'd like to send me a question or comment about this show or any shows, you can send them to Angie at themoonandstone.com. <laughs>